0: Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. Welcome to the Sex for Saints podcast, Doctor Finlayson Fife. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. If there are listeners that don't know who you are and have been living under a rock for the last <laughs> few years, could you introduce yourself to them, please? Sure.
1: I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I live in the Chicago area. And I'm a licensed therapist and a coach and instructor. And I work specifically, or kind of uh, mostly, with Latter-day Saint individuals and couples around relationship and sexuality issues. So I do a lot of teaching on that and, um, you know, it, one-on-one instruction as well.
0: Awesome. And you'll find that many of the concepts that I teach here on the podcast are ones that I've learned either from Dr. Finlayson Fife or through her from Dr. Schnars mm, yeah. or something, because you've introduced me to a lot of concepts that I use a lot with my clients and here on the podcast. Right. So. I'm sure that they'll be familiar with yeah. some of your work, just if they, if they haven't already listened to you, then yeah. me because I love your stuff. That's great. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to bring on the podcast to talk about the concept of equality in marriage mm. and specifically in the sexual relationship. Mm. I've heard you talk on the one up one down dynamic. Could you explain
1: what that is? Sure. So do you want the long lesson or the short one? <laughs> I'll see if I can get somewhere in the middle. So, human beings, and this is a lot of uh, Murray Bowen's work, David Schnarch's work, but also Adler's work. There's a lot of uh, different theorists who've talked about this idea that when we are trying to manage our anxiety, the anxiety that's inherent to being alive, we tend to do it in relationship to other people, and in fact, use our way of relating to handle anxiety about ourselves. One of the very typical human patterns is to create hierarchies in relationship. And they're both dependent positions, they're both weak positions, but one up looks stronger than one down. Mm. And so a lot of people in marriage will, in friendships, in any important relationship, but even unimportant relationships will instinctively create these hierarchies either to fold into a dominant other's life, which is a way of hiding from the basic responsibility of living Mm -hmm. and a fantasy that someone else is going to take care of you or show you the way or make your life legitimate or the one-up position, which is in order for me to feel strong or important or valuable, I want someone to fold into my life, to reinforce me, to be the backup of my reality And a lot of times those two people get married and this is (laughs) definitely because they like, Oh, perfect. We fit each other's fantasy. And this is also traditional marriage or a lot of times what we idealize is the right kind of marriage that the man is the quote unquote strong one, the dominant one. um, And the woman is there to be the support staff for his important work. And we've done this around sexuality, which is men's sexuality is, the real sexuality. A lot of women that I work with have grown up being taught that idea that women are there to service their men's sexuality, to give him the sex he quote-unquote needs so that he doesn't stray, so that he doesn't become unfaithful. Um, it's the payment for to him for the security that he provides financially and otherwise. So while that has an instinctive appeal, when we are immature, it is antithetical to intimacy in marriage, and it's antithetical to good, passionate sex. And that surprises a lot of people.
0: So explain more about that. Why is it antithetical to a great sexual relationship?
1: Um, because you can't choose someone you need and If you need someone psychologically, you're not in a position to choose them. And passion in its core is about choice and freedom, not about obligation and entanglement. And so a lot of people get married and create out of a fantasy of security, a kind of entanglement. He needs me. She needs me but it is exactly the strictures that limit the sense of passion and openness and freedom to be knowable. A real sense of choice in marriage is, is interfered with by that psychological neediness.
0: So can you give us a few examples of what that might
1: look like? Sure. A good example. Good, good question. So, you know, a typical client might be like the woman who grew up in a man's world like in her family sort of thinking that men are it being a good woman is to fold into a man's life she doesn't get much of a career of her own she doesn't have a way to f- I'm just going to give you the sort of stereotypical couple yeah. for a minute <laughs> she doesn't have a strong sense that she can or ought to provide for herself she may even compromise her development to be a desirable woman because she doesn't want to be a threat to a man and his sense of strong his sense of dominance mm. um I worried about that myself, that I was in fact making myself less desirable if I were to pursue a PhD, because in the world I grew up in, there were plenty of men who were calling me to repentance around that. (laughs) So, So that's like some women actually keep themselves small to be desirable. And of course, only a weak man needs a woman to be weak, to feel strong. Yeah, like strong men don't need women to lessen themselves for them to embody their strength as a man. Right. Yes. So just to be clear about that, but that's the kind of idea. So that woman then feels like, well, I'm supposed to be dependent if I'm a good woman. And I also doubt that it's okay for me to strive on my own. Maybe I won't get the love that I want if I do. But also maybe I don't have the capacity, right? Mm. Like maybe if you've grown up in that idea, then you might think, well, maybe I shouldn't and maybe I couldn't. So that woman is often looking for a caretaker in a husband. Now, this is like so culturally dictated in any kind of traditional culture. that Totally. totally Right. So this is not shocking at all. In fact, a lot of people think she's doing exactly what she ought to do. So, So that man is given the idea to be a man is to be strong, to be the leader, to provide for a woman and children, to basically there's a hierarchy, God, man, woman, children.
0: And, yes.
1: you know, so you've got to be the able one, the one who doesn't get emotional, the one who doesn't feel insecure, the one who's got it all together, who understands sex. And the reward for all this is good sex, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to love me and desire me and want me because I'm so awesome. And a lot of times these are pretty awesome. I mean, really, like yeah, I, some of the yeah. men I work with, they're doing, you know, they're doing good things in the world. But they're not getting the admiration and desire because, okay, so let me just so that man, though, often is not very real. That is to say, he has hidden from himself and his partner his vulnerabilities, his insecurities, his anxieties about sex. A lot of times Mm -hmm. we're like, it's fine to say women have sexual anxieties, but not that men do, even though all of men's difficulties with pornography and difficulty with intimacy or initiating sex or showing who they are is about men's version of sexual anxiety so yes so um so the reason this breaks down is because well first of all if let's say from the strong quote-unquote strong position you're not allowed to be human you're not allowed to have right. insecurities you're not allowed in that frame to um you might have it might be legitimate to have sexual needs but you're not supposed to have emotional needs you're not supposed mm-hmm. to be a flawed person you you have to kind of over function and pretend a kind of over functioning that is antithetical to intimacy because intimacy is to be real yeah and to be collaborative and to partner with somebody not caretake partnership marriages are different than caretaking marriages yeah and so so he's bringing a half self the woman often feels um now he can be resentful when he's not getting the admiration he thinks he deserves. He's not getting the woman who's just yielding and folding into his life the way he wants her to. Okay. And yeah. this is just one caricature. This this happens in a lot of different ways. Right. So he will often feel resentment and anger that I'm giving you all this, but you don't gratify me. You don't desire me, even though I'm so desirable. And there's all these people at work who would think I'm desirable. <laughs> and you don't. Okay. Yes. And that's often true because he often looks really good on the surface. And might get the validation of other women, yeah. but not get his wife's validation. Now, yeah. she's not giving a lot of validation because, first of all, she feels condescended to. She feels like she doesn't really have a lot of control. She kind of has to be there. She doesn't really have the ability to leave. She needs to live life on his terms, which quickly people start to resent. Like, there's a safety in it. But right. then you start feeling like, I'm disappearing in this marriage. Yes. Who am I? Yes. What is my life about? I don't want to just prop this guy up for life. Right. And I don't want to prop him up sexually for life either that in fact, that usually falls apart before the honeymoon's over. Okay. Yes. So because it's, <laughs> it's so intimate, nobody wants to be servicing in an intimate way. Right. And so the resentment, like you both want the dependency, you bought into it, but the resentment around it is right there in the shadows and undermining desire, undermining Um, the husband's it's like, okay, well you get to be superior, but I don't want to give you good sex. And you get that too. This is a way of having and contain retaining a certain part of myself in the marriage. Mm -hmm. It's also maybe a way of getting back at you for your condescension. I don't want to validate your condescension by giving you good sex. Well, and then often women don't have even contact with their desires because they've learned to be desireless. So it can break down for that reason as well.
0: Right. And I've heard you talk a little bit about how some women even put themselves in the one-up position in this part because they think they're better than their spouse for not getting into those sexual desires. Yes, exactly. So there's a
1: lot of ways people can create hierarchies and it's not just men on top, women on the bottom. Women can, you can get into a covert, so I'll give you a couple of versions, but one is the way you're saying, which is I'm on this pedestal, and you loser, have all these hedonistic desires,, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so it's a sort of spiritual hierarchy. We do this in church a lot, which is like women are so special and pure, and you know right there next to God and up <laughs> with these men and and that's a very tempting narrative if you have sexual anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think it's even tempting for some men to pedestalize their wives. Yeah. As a way of like, you know, kind of not dealing with and reconciling their own sexuality, but another way that hierarchies can happen in this is you control from the bottom. So Mm -hmm. I'm needy, I'm depressed, I'm anxious. I'm so I remember one of my clients saying, I'm so glad you're not one of those natural men that wants sex all the time, you know, and the husband's like, okay, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you can control from weakness too. you know, Um, like a baby has the most control in a household because yeah. they need the most. And some people stay in that dependent position as a way of getting control over the system, the family system.
0: That's a, that's a great analogy with the baby. Cause that mm-hmm. totally does happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think in, every, in every household, you know, who's in control. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so how do you think this narrative of, um, plays into like with the priesthood, him being Mm. the leader in the home. How does Mm. that dynamic fit into this?
1: Well, it infuses LDS marriages with this hierarchy because in my opinion, because if you're going to say, if you're going to say priesthood is just, you're doing certain roles and women are doing other roles, but both have authoritative access. Both have the ability to operate as equal voices no problem. It doesn't matter, in my yeah. view, if men yeah. do some things and women do other important things. But it, for me, the issue is of authority. If a man's position instinctively trumps a woman's, you can't have a partnership marriage. I agree. And so we talk about, well, women have access to the spirit and they have all these things. That's fine. And you don't even have to call it priesthood as long as they're equal. Yeah. But if, if it's like, no, the, you know, I remember as a younger person thinking, wait, it doesn't make any sense. How do you just defer to a man if he's deferring to God? Because if you already know what God's will is, why do you need to defer to the man? How do you know if he is deferring if you don't know God's will? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, he's just the middleman. <laughs> <sense. laughs> if you already know God's will, then you have the ability to discern for yourself. So it's it's a traditional system yeah. that we haven't fully grown out of and that we need to grow out of if marriages are really going to thrive. If, if as a society, as a collective, we're going to thrive because you can't be dismissive of a part and have the body thrive.
0: I totally agree. I, so, um, I was married before, Mm. um, um, it was a pretty abusive marriage Mm. and that and this dynamic came in a lot Mm, (laughs) in a lot of different areas. And, you know, it really bothered me, um, saying that I needed to defer to my husband, you know, doing the, with certain things when I knew that it was not what I should be doing.
1: Yes. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: And so really, you know, Teaching women, which is you know my passion, to you know really step into their own power and have their own connection with God, and yes. then equally doing that with their husband, yes. So that we're not creating this power dynamic just because he you know has the authority of the priesthood doesn't mean that your say is any less than his.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a really fundamental and important point. And you again, you can't create partnership. Without that fundamental understanding, people have to be psychological equals. Again, you can be doing different roles. Totally, no. Like you, one can be breadwinning, one can be home with the kids. But you know, in my dissertation research, the women who really thrived sexually in their transition into marriage, they had a full sense of equality within themselves, Mm -hmm. how they related to the law of chastity, but how they related to their own desires. And even if they were in traditional roles, they didn't question whether or not they were really on equal footing with their spouse, nor did their spouse question it. It was a shared assumption.
0: Yeah. And that's like in my current marriage, that is a completely different dynamic because we both have different roles, but we're both fully. Ourselves and independent, yeah. and we're just choosing to be together. It's not because we need each other. One person does more than the other. Like, and he's yeah. just as involved in raising the children and the household chores. So, I mean, we both yes. work. So, yes. you know, it's just, it's much more equal and it's so much better. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much better when it's like that, when we just get to choose each other yes. rather than like this need and security and yes. stuff like that.
1: that. Just to validate that point, that, you know, a lot of times I remember hearing at BYU you know I was there in like the late 80s and that if you marry them young you can train them the way you want that was (laughs) a horrifying idea that I heard some men say okay yes okay (laughs) which
0: I totally ascribed to when I was there I was married nine days after I turned 19 (laughs) oh
1: yeah exactly there you go so yeah so you would think if that were true you'd still be married okay or the idea like if you marry them young you kind of They're not going to get all feminist and independent and all this stuff. The research shows, though, the later a woman marries and the more educated she is, the less likely she is to divorce, which is the opposite Mm. of this kind of, you know, push them into a dependent position because then they won't go. If a woman knows she can leave, that's what gives her the freedom to really embrace and enjoy her marriage because it is a choice, not a prison. Absolutely. Absolutely, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, kind of along those same
0: lines of priesthood and stuff, I know a lot of, and it's maybe not as much, maybe it is, and I'm just missing it in the Latter Day Saint culture, but in the Christian culture mm-hmm. of being the submissive wife,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how does that? Is that the same mm-hmm. or is it yes, different?
1: It's, mm. um, it's <laughs> I, I think there's probably a way that. One can think about submission in a positive sense, but the submissive wife is the same idea. Yeah. It's the idea that God and the man are together. And if you're going to be a good woman, yield to the man. Mm -hmm. That basically you are a dependent, get used to it and be a good one. Be a good dependent, be a grateful dependent. That's the teaching. Yeah. I mean, can some people get through life and do that? I'm sure they can. I'm sure they do uh, does it work for the production of family? Yes, it does. If, if the goal is having children and you want to set up that kind of hierarchy, um, and you each have your respective roles and there is an uh, inherent and understandable dependency. I know a lot of people get through life and do it that way. I think even in traditional culture, well, should I say like even in fundamentalist Islam, I, uh, did a, studied with a, a Muslim woman when I was um, studying abroad in in Israel back in the uh, early 90s and one of the things that I really learned in that class was how Muslim women would find covert ways of getting control so even Mm -hmm. though ostensibly they're in a hierarchy the ones who really control the family ultimately is the woman and the woman with lots of sons because she the daughter-in-law and the son defer to the mother ultimately now in the marriage she's under the man but she gets a hold of the whole family so kind of to that um interesting my big fat greek wedding idea like The man, he's the head, but the woman, she's the neck and she can turn the head however she wants. So women are not idiots. And even in these traditional settings, they find their ways to get control. Yeah. So I think it surprises a lot of men in traditional settings, the idea that, that women don't have control because I think a lot of them do feel controlled. Yes. <laughs> and barely. I mean, because we, we want our agency and our power. Nobody wants to genuinely submit their life to another mind unless no. you're unless you're mentally unwell. Well, And
0: don't you think that that is, I mean, completely, again, antithetical to the purpose that we have here on this earth to become our highest selves, to become more like God. Exactly. I think it's a,
1: it's a perversion of our theology. I mean, it's, it's a tempting one. It's one that people (laughs) like, and they like to promote because it justifies their life or it justifies their unhappiness, but I don't. So yet, can you produce a family in it? Yes. If that's your goal. But an intimate marriage, a partnership marriage, a sexually thriving marriage, it doesn't work. And so you have to think about what marriage have I bought into implicitly or explicitly? And is it what I really want? Because I think a lot of men are also really, a lot of men I know are hurting and disillusioned. Mm -hmm. They're also doing what they were taught to do. It's not like, oh, great, I get to control a woman for life. I don't know many men who thought that way. It's it's more the way they were taught. This is what it is to be a man. And these are the assumptions of what your rewards will be for falling in line. But a lot of men are hurting, never feel wanted, never feel desired, feel anxious about their sexuality, handle it sometimes in destructive ways, but are, uh, you know, are not benefiting from this hierarchical system at all. Yeah. So, when I was first
0: introduced to this concept, um a friend of mine were just dis- we were discussing it, and she was telling me that you know, in her marriage, this one up one down showed up a lot with money. That Mm -hmm. she felt she had to ask permission to spend money and get her husband's approval. And it wasn't just her putting herself in this one down position. He did it too. (laughs) He -hmm. thought because he earned the money, you know, she was expected to ask permission, but yet he would go spend large amounts of money without ever talking to her about it. So she's like, okay, I'm going to make. I'm going to make some changes here. This is not okay Mm -hmm. with me anymore. Mm -hmm. And oh, it caused a lot of problems. I'm sure. (laughs) So how would you recommend that to a couple whose dynamic has always been this way Yeah, that really don't want it to be that way anymore, or even one person really doesn't want it to be that way anymore?
1: Yeah. I think it's really a very important point. And this issue of money says a lot about who has the most power in the marriage. Yeah. is who's spending the money and how <laughs> is the money thought about, right? Yeah. And m- meaning it's not who's spending the money. That's not quite the right way to say it, but whose wishes are getting met most around the economics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And do does each person have a sense of freedom to to have what they want, whether that's to save or whether that's to have nice things. So this, a collaborative marriage is going to be collaborative a partnership marriage is going to partner around money, and there's a lot of different ways that people do this. But one of the working assumptions I have is in a marriage, the the money is shared. Doesn't matter who's making it.
0: Yeah.
1: Legally, it's shared. If you're, you're going to
0: get divorced, it's going to be split fifty. Exactly. Exactly.
1: 50-50. So it doesn't matter who made it. And this idea that I made the money, therefore I get a bigger vote, is is um, doing damage to a marriage. Yeah. Okay. Now. Um, not only do you have equal access, but you have equal responsibility because there's a lot of people who are like, hey, Jennifer said I get equal access, but I'm not going to be responsible. I can spend it however I want. And I think that's also a perversion. Like you, you also, it's not about getting it from your husband and now you can do what you want. It's about how do we really create a reality around our money that's a fair... Um, representation of who we each are and what we each want, right? So my husband in our family, we spend more than my husband likes and we save more than I like. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is to say we both have like, okay, what can we both be at peace with? And what does that look like? And that takes some negotiation from a shared foundational reality. One other way that couples handle this well is that you know, we agree on what our expenses are, we agree on kind of the framing, and then we each have disposable income that's yeah. equal, that doesn't have to be accounted for to anyone, that you really have, this is the amount that you can do whatever you want with it, and uh, even if your spouse thinks you don't need another pair of shoes, you don't have to justify it. <laughs> But uh, but you each have that and you can do with it what you want. And if you want to save it, you can save it. Right. So that's yeah. just another way. But I think that this idea of really sharing around that is important. And I worked with a couple where he made a lot of money, had the PhD. She had done it in the traditional way, had a year or two of school under her belt. And she just had this basic sense that, Um that she couldn't really leave him because there would be this fight for the money and she would never get it. And even though he's like, listen, I am not going to withhold anything. I would not do that to you. And I think it was true. Mm -hmm. She just kind of had always, always had this feeling that she was trapped that she couldn't leave if she wanted. Yeah. So they set up an agreement in the marriage that if she were to leave, she would get half. Mm -hmm. And this psychologically released her from this, Fear of or this feeling of entrapment. It actually just helped her realize I have real choices and it actually helped her take more re- responsibility for yeah. herself and her life. She couldn't hide behind, I'm a victim of the marriage anymore. She, <laughs> yeah. you know, she could just started going back to school, started doing lots of things, just kind of stepping into an adult position. But that explicit negotiation was helpful for her. Interesting. I like that.
0: I mean, we do, we do the. Prenuptial agreement. This was kind of like, min- yeah, it's like agreement. Prenuptial. exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. but I mean, really, when it comes to it, like we all have a prenuptial agreement. It's just if we don't set it up ahead of time, it's whatever the state says it's gonna be. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, I think a it's joy Moore that says that. <laughs> She's yeah. the one that brought that up. And I love yeah. that because I mean, having been through a divorce myself, I understand right, you know, that dynamic. And like I I was that woman where I felt trapped because he had a master's degree and I had two years of college and I mean, I'm pretty like knowledgeable. I'd had several businesses and stuff, but you know, I figured I'd make it on my own, but I'm like, what am I going to do with myself? And so for a long time, I was kind of trapped in this marriage where like, I can't leave because I don't know how I'm going to survive. Right. Yes. Yes. So, but really, it's coming into yourself and be like, this is who I am, and this is who I want to be, and nobody's going to stop me. That's right. <laughs> really. Yeah, really. Great. Exactly right. And I think, you know, as women, sometimes we value that safety and security more mm-hmm. than equality.
1: Mm, yes. and I think
0: that gets in the way of our own personal development. Yeah. You think about that?
1: I think that might be true. and There's a socialized aspect of it. I think there's probably a biological part too, where if you're going to reproduce and you're trying to keep your offspring alive, we're probably pretty wired up for wanting Mm -hmm. security and safety and dependency if necessary to just be able to do that all hands on deck work of raising up very young offspring. So I think there's both a social and a biological tendency to highly favor that, um, and I think that's okay. I mean, what I mean is, there's probably some situations in which, as much as you want that, it isn't okay, and that you have to move forward because you're in an abusive situation or something that's not tenable. Yeah. yeah. But I think that there is a kind of self. What's the word I want to say? Like. Pushing away the self during that period, in a way, putting away your development to take these babies and turn them into at least toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> right where you just you, there is a yeah. suppression of self that's functional. Yeah. But what I worry about more is that once you pass out of that intensive time, some people stay in that suppressed self. It's mm-hmm. culturally validated, it's a way of stepping away from your fears. And I think it actually compromises your ability to be a good mother to adolescents and adults if you don't keep developing yourself, because then you're too wrapped up in being needed by them and not able to let them to grow fully out of needing you. So there's a certain point at which, and I think women kind of know when they've crossed over it. that it's time to focus more on your own development, your own economic ability, your own ability to sustain your own sense of self outside of this caretaking role.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this topic before we close today?
1: Well, I, one thing I might say is that when I work with couples who are in these hierarchies, both feel a lot of terror often about shifting into something more exposed if you're the one-up person, stronger if you're the one-down person, more self-sustaining if you're the one-down person. It's like grieving and letting an older self die and it and mm-hmm. stepping into the uncertainty of it. As much as people want freedom from the pain that they feel in a marriage that's in a hierarchy, this can feel very Terrifying. It's uncomfortable, but it's a very productive and valuable kind of discomfort because it starts to open up your life. When you start relating to yourself and others, not in hierarchy, but in in a horizontal way, same as position, you find a freedom both in yourself and in your connection to other people that is so much better than the constriction that's a part of hierarchy. So hierarchy can feel safer, but it fundamentally limits us if we don't grow into horizontal.
0: I agree with that. I agree with that. I actually just spoke with, so I have a course for engaged couples and I offer them a little bit of coaching along with that personalized. And I had a young woman come on and she said that she's really struggling in her marriage. It's fairly new because she was perfect when it came to her sexuality and maintaining control and, you know, went into that marriage and her husband had had several Mm -hmm. sexual partners beforehand and Mm -hmm. how it was just destroying her, but she didn't know how to get out of it because Mm -hmm. she really feels like she's better than him when it comes to this. Yeah. You know, and it just, it broke my heart. Like, we're not better than anybody else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We, We are all on the same plane, our value and like really it almost negates the atonement. I mean, yes, he had it does completely gone through the repentance process and, you know, he felt terrible. He wanted to do everything to please her. And she just kept, you know, putting him down and holding herself mm-hmm. in this, you know, higher position right. because she had been quote unquote, perfect.
1: Right. And that's also her way of dealing with her anxiety. I, I see three other things in there. It's yeah. a way of her dealing with her anxiety about not being sufficient or not measuring up is to shame him. Yes. So I'm sure there's some part of her that fears, well, I'm not his only experience. So what if I'm not enough? If yes. I just shame him, you know, this will get it <laughs> so that I have control. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think it's also just like a way to not take responsibility for your choice. Do you really choose this person or not? If you can't choose him because he's had other partners, then don't choose him. Like let him go and find, let him find someone who can really choose him because to choose someone while holding them at arm's length and judging them is, is a rather unkind thing to do in marriage. And it's an instinctive thing to do. So I understand it. Totally. I don't want you to go anywhere, but I want to hold you in contempt because I feel insecure about this. Right. Yes. That's just not taking up your full responsibility. And third and similar idea is just like. If I believe in the atonement, this person is not less than, as you're saying, Amanda. And then also to love him is to know him, to understand what his experiences were, meaning she doesn't know every last detail about every sexual experience, but just like to understand who is my husband, who is this man, why is he chosen as he has, how has he come to where he is now, that I dare to know you, even the parts that are invalidating or scary that's mm-hmm. an expression of love. So I can understand why she's doing what she's doing because Absolutely. It's, it's induces insecurity and fear, yes. but there's a more courageous path. If you're really going to embrace the one you choose that you're marrying. So, yeah. Yes. And let's be courageous. Let's, yes. Let's,
0: let's embrace this, the hard things, right? Because it is the harder path a lot Absolutely. of times, it is. but it is the path to growth and it is the path to become again, more like our savior and our heavenly parents. That's
1: right.
0: Thank yes. you so much for being here with me today. My pleasure. I so have fun. loved our conversation and I love the amazing insights you bring to it. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Amanda.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found this information helpful, we ask that you rate, review and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from it. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, follow the link in the show notes below to find more information about her online courses, upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.